another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Podcast only this week, so we appreciate you downloading and subscribing wherever you're getting us, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Hey, if you're not subscribing, do it right now. And heck, share the link with friends and family as well. Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever it may be. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. And we are jammed again this week, as always. Coming up later on in the show, John Ireland the radio play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Lakers will join us. And we have a special guest that you're going to want to tune into, especially if you are, well, I was going to say a young person, but a person of any age. Because, heck, there's nothing saying that you can't still be an intern or doing a fellowship when you're 30 or 40 or 50. But especially for younger folks that might be in post-secondary or just coming out of college university, you're going to want to listen to our guest later on to get information and inside access to what the job might be like if you were to become the next recipient of the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship with the Toronto Raptors. So again, we'll call that a little tease. Listen later to find out more on that. But joining us on the line right now, Jonesy, to kick off the show, uh, we always love chatting with our friend. He's uh, one of the top guys in the NBA, plugged in across radio and TV, and of course on the web, on digital, on social, you name it. Mr. Everything, Mark Spears from ESPN and Anscape. Mark, we can hit on a whole bunch of things, but I want to start right off the bat. Um, I know he had a chance to chat with R.J. Barrett, and folks can check out the latest at uh, Anscape. Um, Before I get to your actual piece and some of the things that the two of you spoke with, if I circle back to the trade itself and when it came down, Mark, was there any surprise from your part, good, bad, or otherwise, that these two teams who are going through their own little off-court or should we call it in-court legal battle for a whole bunch of other stuff, any surprise that these two teams were able to hook up and make this deal, let alone the trade itself and the nuts and bolts of what went down and how it impacted both clubs on the floor? Um, I wouldn't say I was totally surprised because I knew the Knicks had interest in OG. And to me, like, you can't make that trade without getting RJ. Um, there've been like eight different, including RJ now, uh, players from Toronto or from Canada that have worn a Raptors uniform, but, you know, respectfully to the other seven, um, none of them were like superstars, right. Or guys, you could envision averaging over 20 points a game or sell a ton of jerseys or, or be a spokesperson, right, for for the country. And, um, you know, RJ is certainly that. So I, I know Masai, uh, you know, uh, probably fancied him, right? And, um, you know, not only as a player, but the ability to bring uh, somebody like that home. You know, somebody of that ilk home, somebody who wears a Canadian jersey nationally, somebody who's beloved and and is like, uh, you know, I I still remember when RJ, you know, was in high school and how much love and respect he brought to Canada because he was the first Canadian that was the number one ranked high school player in the country playing in America that was from Canada. And so, um, no, I just just know that – you know, Jamal Murray's obviously p- pretty big. Jay is pretty big. Those guys aren't going anywhere. So to get one of the guys that I deem to be like the top three Canadians in a in a Raptors uniform was what had to be on the target if, if you're going to send you know uh, OG somewhere. So um, I know RJ was extremely surprised and, and probably needed the dust to settle to really understand it and uh, probably felt. A hit in his stomach at first, then fall with some excitement about, oh, now I get to be home and play for the Raptors and go to Osmos. <laughs> I got to go to this Osmos place because <laughs> the way he talking about it must be sensational. And I'm already in on Tim Hortons coffee. He doesn't have to sell me on Tim Hortons. Um, I... You know, but I, I, I do think that, um, to me, it just need, seemed to be a natural trade and I also know that when Quickly was starting, he was averaging 22, about 22 points a game for the Knicks last season. So I, I definitely think it's a win-win for both teams. It's funny, Mark. Just as a as a quick little, you know, uh, fun aside, 
There's an Osmos like literally two minutes up the road from my joint. You'd have to come out to suburbia though, but I'm sure we can find plenty of locations downtown when you're back in TO. Yeah. We'll make sure that we get you to to an Osmos or whatever. Um, and and listen, they're not a sponsor of ours, but hey, Osmos, if you're listening, if you want to, you know, feel free to pick yeah. up the phone. But I believe they have done yeah. some sponsorship stuff with the Raptors in the past. I think they had a campaign with Norm Powell at one point. But it's funny when when RJ mentioned that quote. I'm not going to say that it like was like going off like wildfire here, but there's so many other people are waiting like, oh, like it might be a good place, but there's so many other better shawarma places. Other people, no, 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 you can get shawarma. That Osmos is the best shawarma. It's like I didn't think we'd be talking about shawarma and the best joints coming out of this trade, but that that quote itself was just kind of, I don't know. There was just some Canadiana and certainly some some Toronto roots in that, no doubt. Um, and it and it kind of harkened back to something you've probably talk to us about over the years anytime people seem to talk about toronto and canada and playing for the raptors and forget about the currency exchange and north of the border it's always like well is the food the same as the states man it's like if you come here and you want shawarma and you want jamaican you know patties or whatever we got you you name it we got it and we'll take care of you as well mark and we'll get yeah. you that tim hortons package and the the 20 bees winery or whatever i know you're into as well. well we'll put it all together for you yeah but you know i, I think it's got to be really special for him um there's a lot of pressure that comes with playing at home and and i asked him about that but then there's a lot of great that comes from playing at home i also think this is a good time in his career to to be home i I think a good example is chauncey billups when he played in denver his hometown uh the first time it was it was early in his career and i think it was overwhelming uh, even though he wasn't there long to play at home and to to actually be struggling at the time with injuries and not be in the court and people wanting to come to the game and whatnot. I think that the second time around, it was easier, um, more manageable, kind of probably harder for people to get a hold of him, right? And I think RJ's at a point in his career where, you know, he's four years in, he's been there, done that. He's played in the big market in New York. Um and he's probably old enough now where he can manage uh, the pressures of playing at home, the demands of playing at home. Uh, you know, he's kind of from he's from a celebrity family as it is. Um, but I, you know, I was asking him about the pressures, and he didn't really feel like the pressures were anything to worry about. But the one thing that he was excited about was being somebody that can motivate that next kid coming up from Canada to be like, hey, you know, this guy is somebody that's from here. He's, you know, he's somebody that can do it, that did it, and I could do it, you know. I could succeed. Um, And so I think he's looking forward to kind of being that guiding light to anybody um, from Toronto, Toronto and Canada that are looking for extra inspiration. Mark, when when it comes to RJ on the floor, no matter whether he's Canadian or otherwise, the impact that he has a chance to make with this team, do you envision it being the same or different than in New York? Because when I look at it, just and listen, this is this is not even knowing whether anything is or isn't going to go down with Pascal Siakam. So or without Pascal, I still feel like RJ's got a chance to be that much more of a focal point and, and be even more involved offensively than he was in New York. And he was already pretty damn good in New York. Some people might, might want to talk about inconsistencies. I thought overall he's pretty solid and was a key cog in what the Knicks were building over the last few years. Yeah, I, I think he just realized with those two other stars there, uh, there was no way that he was going to be able to be anything more than the third fiddle, right? Um and mm-hmm. but I think he, you know, he was fine with the role. He accepted the role. He was enjoyed playing in the Knicks uniform. And again, I heard he was really taken aback initially when he was traded. But I mean, hey, the, what what you're going to need offensively from him probably is certainly greater in New York. I mean, in uh, Toronto, even though you have Pascal for the moment and you have Scotty, um, I, I, I am expecting. You know, Pascal to get moved. Um, where? I'm not totally sure. I'm sure <laughs> Toronto people would love to see him go to 
to Indiana and get another guy and Ben Matherin back, you know, we'll see what, what happens. Or I don't know about how people there feel about Wiggins and if he would fit with RJ there in a potential Golden State trade. But, um, you know, that, it, it, that could be kind of cool to add another uh, Toronto player in the mix uh, with a deal like this. I want to circle back to the Pascal thing in a second, Mark, and 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 actually hit on specifically what you're just talking about—the Canadiana aspect of maybe another trade or even just future trades down the road. But one last point or question about RJ: for as much as he is slash was a focal point and a key cog in this deal, right, wrong, or otherwise, some folks have even said like, "Hey, may this trade may have may have been made as much for Emmanuel quickly." as it was for R.J. Barrett. Do you think that that help has helped or will have ease this transition of the quote-unquote pressure that you and I have spoke about? You said R.J. doesn't necessarily feel it. But the pressure of being the Toronto kid going back to Toronto and all that comes with by saying, hey, man, I'm just part of this. My guy, Emmanuel, is, is just as big of a deal, and this is the guy that the Raptors yeah. are looking at as their, their point guard, their, their lead dog for the future. You know, I, I kind of like in – quickly to Tyrese Maxey in Philadelphia. It took, you know, James Harden to get moved for us to truly see how good he is. And, um, you know, with Brunson in New York, he was just a great player behind him. You see that from time to time where a player basically gets, you know, to show how good he is once he gets to be somewhere else or once someone else gets moved. And uh, Scout... Or, or a general manager told me that one thing that quickly did over the last three years was get a lot stronger. Uh, if you look at his body now from his rookie year, there's a huge difference. And I think that basically that added, added strength um, has allowed him to flourish now. But the skill was already there. Uh, the strength is now there. So I think that the Raptors are getting him at a, at a prime time at a great time. And he's, still a really really young guy um you know um also you know um Wiggins I mean I'm sorry Wiggins um uh, uh RJ's pretty young as well so you know uh they're guys that you could build with for the future with Scotty may perhaps moving Siakam you get you get younger as well and and kind of just like rebuild for the future not in a uh, lottery kind of way, but I mean, as you see, this team is competitive um, and capable of knocking on the door for the playoffs. So, um, you know, I, I saw that Pascal had his back injury yesterday. <laughs> uh, yeah, so much back real. spasms. <laughs> uh, back spasms. Okay, I saw that, uh, but I, uh, I, I think Masai has. You know, it's going to be smart in what he does with him. I knew with Fred Van Vliet, from what I was told, there just wasn't a lot of offers there um, that were, I don't think, the Raptors deemed worthy of consummating, which is why they decided to roll the dice. Um, but I wonder if such will be the case with, with Pascal uh, because, again, you got to know, like, now – doesn't sound like Sacramento could be part of the deal because if he doesn't want to resign there. So, you know, he quietly has some power. His agent, Todd Ram Ramasar, has power that they could be like, you know, no team is going to trade for him unless they feel confident he's going to resign, unless they're just trying to write off some salary. But he's too good for that. So I think that um, that makes it more challenging because a team has to wink, wink, know that he wants to be there long term in order to consummate a deal. So I am um, really curious to see how that plays out, especially now as a 30 year old player. Mark, in essence, that gives uh, Todd Ramazar and Pascal Siakam veto power over any trade because all they have to do is say, well, we're not resigning here, and no team's going to give up assets, uh, especially yeah. young assets. Uh, for a guy that's a rental for a couple of months, you know, I mean, if you're a championship contender, maybe, but at the same time, 
uh, knowing yeah. that, that guy's going to walk away, it, 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 makes it, it makes it real tough. And listen, Eric and I have gone over this. There is a, a sordid history in Toronto of guys that have left for nothing. I mean, you look at the championship team. Van Vliet, uh, you know, got nothing for him. Marc Gasol got nothing for him. Uh, Kawhi Leonard got nothing for him. Uh, you know, guys, guys just keep Ibaka, Danny Green. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you really Danny couldn't Green. have got anything for And then the history, the history of it, Mark, yeah. the history of it, yeah. too, is something because Chris Bosh, one of your top guys in franchise history, got away for yeah. nothing. Tracy McGrady left for nothing. Like, it's, it's, it's tough right now. You, you've got to do something, you know, tangible with this, yeah. with this situation with Siakam. And then to your point in your article, I, I love that. You talk about the roles. I mean, OG's got a great role in, in New York right now. And RJ didn't fit that role, stand in the corner in New York. He didn't fit that. He's too dynamic for that. So he's in a good spot here. So there's a lot of moving, there's a lot of moving parts on anything going forward when, you know, especially when you look at Toronto. Yeah. I mean, uh, perhaps the worst case scenario, if he is the potential of being moved to a team that's like, okay, we're going to roll the dice, but we're not going to get you the the same value back because we have to roll the dice. Right. Um, where it ends up being a trade that you've grown at, right? So you want him to be traded, but if he doesn't get great value back, are you going to be mad, right? I mean, it's a mm-hmm. it's a game being played right now. It's a dance being watched right now, and it's you know that's why I do not think that Masai is scared of uh, striking a match to get this done. It has to be the right thing. There's still a couple weeks. Um, but, again, the fact that he does have veto power, the fact that, you know, what does he want contractually, uh, what are teams willing to give, um, him being 30, like, uh, I, I do think that for a team like Golden State to add somebody like him would be, Great, although one general manager told me he just didn't think he would be a good fit with the Warriors. I think right now anybody that could score over 20 points a game is a good fit for the Warriors. <laughs> they they need Steph Curry needs help in the worst way, right? Like so, um, and I do think the Warriors will do and have to do something. Um, but I I just wonder when it's all said and done. Like, what will be the offer? Um, and what happens if he doesn't like all of the options, right? Uh, so it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Mark, let me let me circle back to something you said a, a few minutes back when we were chatting about, and you you'd kind of thrown out. And and folks, I'm not I'm not saying Mark is saying this is happening. You were just speculating, throwing out possibilities. Andrew Wiggins in Golden State. Ben Matherin in, in, in Indiana. Do you think the Raptors could or should explore Canadians specifically in current and future deals? Not that you're going to build a team of all Canadians, but is it, do you think, does it behoove them, does it benefit them to try to have three, four Canadians, five, six Canadians, and trying to, yeah. to go in on that to help prop up their team, their franchise moving forward? You know what? I, I think that's a question you guys could better answer than me. I mean, I'm not from there. I don't know ultimately what kind of impact, uh, you know, did Boucher make a big impact there? Um, I forgot the kid's name. It's with uh, the Celtics now. Did anybody really care, right? Um, Brissette. And Delano Banton, yep, yep. Yeah, did 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 uh Corey Joseph jerseys and fly off the shelf and McGlore jerseys, you know what I mean? I I, I do think that RJ yeah. Barrett is different. RJ Barrett's a different level. RJ Barrett's uh you know not an all star player, but has all star cape calibers. You know, he, he he's 
it's like you guys never got Steve Nash to play there, right? You didn't. You, Jamal Murray doesn't sound like he's coming there anytime soon. Um, Shea's not coming there anytime soon. So to get a guy of RJ's caliber, I think that's different than just adding a Canadian, right? Like I don't, I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. it's cool. It looks good on the roster and all that, but having Barrett there is different. It's different. I mean. Having somebody like the high flyer from the Pacers come home, I mean, he's a really good player. Right? Like, great potential. That's different. Wiggins, different. Just getting a guy just because he was born there, I don't, I don't know that it, mat- it it really slaps unless they have a chance to be a difference maker. Mark, you talked about uh, the Warriors and uh... – they're in a tough spot right now. Uh, all of this Draymond stuff, he's been reinstated. I, I know you're, you're, you're close to that team, or you have been, you know, being out in that area and, and living in that area. What do you see going forward? I mean, Draymond is going to come back, and he's even said himself that you can't change the spots on a leopard. My, my late father used to say in Latin, the English translation is, people that are square don't die round. Dray- Draymond's not changing. And they need what he has, but at the same time, where is this uh, core, championship core of Draymond, Clay, and Steph, where are they at right now, the pieces around them? Like, are, are we seeing the decline of this thing? Uh, is, is this, you know, kind of the last legs of the dynasty? Um, I don't know. It's funny because we – I think a lot of times as media we treat – the NBA like it's the NFL or it's college football. <laughs> like you could lose the first game of a college football season. It could ruin your national championship hopes, right? NBA, there's 82 games and teams go through bad stretches. And you know, like, remember how bad the Clippers were a month ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, 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 it's waves. So I think one thing is it well, has been a huge loss for them has been Draymond Green being out. Uh, losing Gary Payton, huge. Losing Chris Paul, huge. They still needed to address having a better number two score. They, they never really replaced Jordan Poole scoring. So I think – but until recently, the problem was like just they were having close losses and not executing in the end. Uh, you could – perhaps blame Kerr for some of those shortcomings. But um, I know with Draymond coming back probably next week, that'll give them a boost. Maybe they make a they need to make a trade. I think that's a given. Um, the sky fell last night. But um, I do think Steph is tired and needs help. But I, you know, I'm not, I don't think that they're quite ready to give up on the dynasty just yet, right? Or give up on those three guys at least. But they got a new general manager, and maybe he has the guts to do it. Um, perhaps Golden State fans are more open to the possibility now than ever of trading Clay and Clay, trading Draymond. But at this point, like, what value are you getting for them? I do think there would be some teams that would have interest in Draymond. Um, but, um, I, I believe it when it happens. I, d- I do think though that Kaminga, Brandon Pazinski, even as much potential as they have, when you have a Steph Curry on the roster, you, you got to have a Yankees mentality. And if you're able to move those young pieces to squeeze the most out of him before he walks away, you do it. Mark, we appreciate the time, as always. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and look forward to seeing you in person one of these days, man. All the best. All right. Take care, guys. Take care, Mark. That was Mark Spears from ESPN and Anscape. Jonesy, I just want to go back to to something here. If you want to bring something up, too, or talk about anything, let's have at it. But when I asked Mark about the Canadian Canadian angle, um, to be clear, that's not necessarily something I think the Raptors should be pursuing or, or actively looking at. I brought it up simply because it seemed like Mark brought it up when he mentioned Matherin and when he mentioned Wiggins and whatnot. And it did kind of trigger something in my mind where, who was it we were chatting with recently? Um, 
Might was it? What, I, now that I, I'm, I'm wondering, was it John Ireland? Either way, when we were talking recently about teams that kind of got ahead of the curve on on certain things, and the example was used about Utah that might have got ahead of the curve, trying to go after European players. And actually, it wasn't John Ireland. It was a conversation I was having with Tim Roy, the Golden State Warriors play-by-play voice, uh, a couple of days ago. And he was saying, you know, you think back to some of the European players that Utah went after, and they kind of focused in on that. And Toronto arguably did that for quite some time during the Brian Colangelo era as well. And are there certain players or certain people or certain pockets that you could or should be focusing on? Like, is it a fluke right now that the Clippers – who the Raptors saw earlier this week, focus or just flukily ha- happen to have a whole bunch of dudes from California and specifically Southern California. Yeah. Like, would yeah, it actually behoove the Raptors yeah. to have, yeah, to have more Canadians, more Torontonians? Because to Mark's point, and this isn't meant as a knock, yeah, I don't know that Corey Joseph jerseys were flying off the shelves, but certainly people were engaged by it. I don't know that Chris Boucher is a top jersey seller or that, people in Toronto but heck when he goes back to Montreal it is a big deal so would it matter if there was a Matherin or a Nemhard or a Wiggins or a clearly a Shea but a Lou Dort etc the list goes on would it make a big difference if Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster and whatnot focused on trying to acquire more Canadians well I mean I think if you know and this was a question that was asked before if they're good you get them and I don't care where they're from um, and does it make it easier for uh, international players, Canadians in particular, to come back and play in Toronto? Yeah, because they're not bo- bothered by certain things that, you know, are, are happenstance and everyday pedestrian activities for us when we cross the border. But you would think customs is like entering, a, you, know, a, a, you know, some kind of... Uh, incarceration camp the way some of the some of the guys talk about it but I, I I think you you develop a culture and you find guys that fit it that that's to me how it works like San Antonio's done that for years I mean you look at Golden State um, you know it's kind of like a college program uh, you know what you're getting when you get a Louisville kid or a Marquette kid or you know like there are certain things that you know so I think that's the way to look at it, guys that fit uh, our philosophy, way we, the way we want to play. And listen, Canada has more, and I say this with my Canada basketball hat on, Canada has more players in the NBA than any other country in the world except for the United States. If we had all the Canadians playing in Toronto, and you're going to see that this summer in Paris when the best Canadians uh, are, are, are playing against the rest of the world, it would be great, but I, I, I just, I don't know if you could focus on that, Eric, because uh, if you if you get sidetracked or, or you get uh, derailed in any way, then it, it throws everything off. So I, I think you, you know, you can look for that. It would help, but I, I just don't think it can be the basis of your entire philosophy. And and I agree with you, Jonesy. I, I guess the, the, the old kind of cliche expression in my mind right now is I – I don't think it would hurt, but I'm not sure that it would help. It's still got to be, to Mark's point, the right player. I don't think you go get a Canadian just for the sake of getting a Canadian. If you get a Canadian that happens to be a hell of a player that fits your system, that's a rising star, that's a that's a, a, a specific role player, whatever, great. But I don't think at this point, I mean, we're going into the 30th anniversary next season. I believe, at least, that the Raptor fan base in Toronto, let alone in Ontario, let alone across the country, simply wants to see a winner, period. And they don't care if, if, it's, if it's a team comprised of all Canadians or all Americans or guys sprinkled from across the globe. Just win, period. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and it's been done before in Toronto, so hopefully they can, they can pull it off again. All right, Jonesy, let's step aside for a break. We've got a lot more of the show to come, including our conversation with John Ireland, the Radio play-by-play voice of the Los Angeles Lakers. And again, I'm going to keep teasing it here, folks. If you want to find out about how you could potentially become a member of the Toronto Raptors and work for the team, we're going to give you information, first-hand information, on the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship. So make sure you stay tuned for that. It's coming up next on Smith & Jones. And before I step aside, I'm going to say it again. Subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review Back in a moment with more of the show.
show on the line right now. Uh, we just saw the Raptors and Lakers play a little bit earlier in the week down in Los Angeles for more on the Lakers and LeBron, and I'm sure we'll get into a whole bunch of other things as well. The radio play-by-play voice of the L.A. Lakers, John Ireland. John, the Raptors roll into uh, Golden State a couple of nights ago, get a victory over the Warriors, and, and it's it's kind of bizarre to look down at the standings in the Western Conference right now and see where the Lakers and the Warriors and, heck, for that matter, even Phoenix are kind of you know jumbled up in that 8 through 11, 8 through 12 in the West. And, uh, you know, look at the East, the Raptors sitting in 11th. They're not doing a whole lot better, but, you know, the expectations on Toronto versus obviously teams like the Warriors and the Suns and the Lakers a lot different. Is there still, you know, with half a season to go, time for L.A. and others to go on a hot streak and turn this around? Or is this kind of how you see things playing out over the next 40 or so? No, I I think there's plenty of time left. And, And just to let you guys into a little scheduling quirk, we're basically home for the whole month of January. We were gone for December. I, I, I slept in my own bed, I think, four nights in December. And uh, in January, it's the exact opposite. We play 11 of our first 12 games this month here in this building. So the Lakers are going to have a chance with that schedule to get this ship kind of straightened out. Now, they, they, <laughs> that's, the schedule is the easy part. The hard part is actually winning the games. The mm-hmm. first game of the month was against Miami. They beat us here. Then Memphis came and beat us here. And we all thought Sunday night, the night you guys beat up on the Warriors, we had the Clippers here. And the Clippers are the hottest team in the NBA. They'd won 14 out of 16. And the Lakers go out and win that game. And none of us thought they were going to. So it's a coin flip almost every night when this team takes the court. But to answer your question, yeah, there's time and there's favorable scheduling in January. So a month from now, we'll know just how good the Lakers are because they've got an unbelievably home-heavy schedule between now and February 1st. John, I think about it. Um, a month from now, we're talking, we're just past the trade deadline. And wasn't it last year at the trade deadline that Rob Polinka took the paddles to the season and resuscitated everything with, right. with the yeah. trade? And like, I, I mean, we've seen this movie before. Are Laker fans waiting for him to yell, you know, like, again, you know, hit, like, go, pull, whatever you do when you put the paddles Clear. down. Clear. <laughs> like, is it, are they there yet? Because, I mean, they were going great guns, and everybody was making fun of the in-season tournament and the win and the banner and all that. But that being said, they were playing well at the time. And then what happened after the tournament? It's a great question. It's one that everybody's asking. Here's my theory, and it's just a theory. They sold out for that in-season tournament. They really, really wanted to win it, guys. They wanted the 500 grand. They wanted to be the first ones. LeBron's got a great sense of history. He wanted his name on that first trophy as part of his legacy. So if you go back and look at those two games in Vegas, in the semifinals, we beat New Orleans by 44. Mm -hmm. And then in the final against Indiana, They flirted with us in the second half a little bit, but we won that game going away. And everybody thought, okay, this is the Lakers team that made it to the Western Conference Finals last year. This is the team that scares everybody. And as soon as the tournament was over, I think our team was out of gas. And everybody was just kind of waiting in the wings. And we come out and lose 10 of the next 13. Yep. And so now you're wondering, all right, were the Lakers just a hot team or are they a good team, the one we saw go all the way to the Western Conference Finals and win the in-season tournament? Somewhere in that locker room, guys, there is a competitive championship-level team. The weird thing is it just doesn't show up every night. And by the way, that could factor in tonight against you guys. Some nights we show up, like the other night against the Clippers, I didn't think we could handle their firepower, and we held Kawhi to 6 of 17 shooting. We won the game late with a great fourth quarter, and all of a sudden, everybody's saying, well, there, that's the Laker team that we all thought we were going to see. So, not to be repetitive, but you mentioned it, the trade deadline's in a month. We have all these home games between now and then. So, they haven't, using your analogy, they haven't broke the paddles out yet. (laughs) But, if they were to have a bad January, if, you know, like we've got eight of the next nine at home, if they were to go three and six um, or two and seven, then I think 
Rob goes back into the lab and sees what he can come up with. But remember, last year was a little more clear cut. Yeah, we just yeah. had to get Russell Westbrook out of here. He was a bad fit, and I'm like the world's biggest Russ fan, but he just didn't fit with our team. And once they got him out of here and and got more specific skill guys, it worked. Hachimura was great. D'Angelo Russell was great. This year, Hachimura's been hurt. So is Russell. They haven't been out there as much as they were last year, and we got all these question marks. But to answer your question, the paddles are still on the shelf. <laughs> if we have a bad January, they'll break them out. If we if we go the other way, if we go six and three, seven and two, then I think everybody calms down and and they roll the dice and see how far this team can go. Yeah, so safe to say, Rob knows where the paddles are. They're they're under the they're under lock and key, but he knows where they are. And and you know, John, to your LeBron and and his sense of history, and I'll say this, and we're all golf guys. When the FedEx Cup came in, everybody laughed and said, there's four majors in golf. What are you talking about playoffs and narrowing the field? And, and then somebody said, well, there's $10 million for the first one. And then once this guy named Eldrick Tiger Woods wins the first one, then everybody says, oh, I guess uh, – I guess it is important. I, I and, yeah, and this I, matters. I, it matters, and I sense that with LeBron, and you know, as you say, the the sense of history he has, and he, he's got to be looking at this season the same way with his legacy as a Laker. I mean, they got one title. It was in the bubble. Some people cry that down. Some don't. But his sense of history with what's going on in Los Angeles compared to Kobe and Shaq and Kareem and Magic and you know, worthy and all of these great Lakers. He's got to be aware of that, John, doesn't he? Oh, he's the smartest, most well-studied basketball player I've ever been around. And I got here the first year of Kobe and Shaq. So I was here for that whole run. I was here for the Kobe Powell championship runs. I was here and called the bubble title. Um, Nobody has a better sense of NBA history than LeBron. And that's, you know, something that when you get him, you kind of have to manage because it's been well-documented. LeBron doesn't have a lot of patience and he's counting on these young guys to kind of get back to the level that they were before, which is why this month is pretty important for us because if we have a bad month, then they're going to have to do what a lot of other teams have done around LeBron and shuffle the deck right before the trade deadline. Now, the weird thing is, as you guys know, it's weird that that even works. You know, they did that one year in Cleveland. Remember when they ran Dwayne Wade off and yeah. they got rid of Derrick Rose? And then you, you look up and LeBron's back in the finals. And then last year, we basically blow the team up at the trade deadline, go into the playoffs as the seventh seed, and just start rolling people until we ran into that buzzsaw that was Denver. And, and so LeBron always believes that he has a chance. And, and like you say, he's driven by that sense of history he really wants to win another title and uh he, i know one thing lebron will be here after the trade deadline it's just a matter of who's going to be with him and that'll right. get determined over the next month hey, john let me give you my preface of i know that you're you're just the broadcaster we get these questions a lot from a raptors perspective we're just the broadcaster we're not plugged into the front office having said that sure. now that i've given you my preface how difficult do you think it is for the organization to take care of the immediate future the present but also kind of keep an eye on the future and, and, and at least be human and wonder aloud, like, okay, uh, I don't know. How long is LeBron here? Is he here for the rest of his career? Is he here for one more year? Is he keeping an eye on what's happening with Bronny for Bryce for that matter? Like, like how long can we hold this in our little family and keep this tight knit? Or, you know, do we need to make sure that we're making him happy to make sure he stays like those things would be spinning around my mind if I was in charge. Well, think about this. You, you've asked a really smart question, but think about this. LeBron has an out at the end of this year. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it, the answer to your question could be LeBron's here for, you know, another 50 games and that's it. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of this depends on Bronny had that heart condition and, and we all thought Bronny would be go play one year at USC and then jump to the NBA. He's on a minute restriction at SC. He's still kind of getting his legs back. I would not be shocked if Bronny went – and did another year at SC and then came into the draft. If that happens, I think LeBron probably re-signs with us for one more year. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, he's LeBron James. He can dictate whatever he wants in his contract. And to answer your first question, like, how do you measure this year and the immediacy of trying to get LeBron a title with planning for the future? 
that's the job, right? I mean, Rob knew that when he took the job that he's got to spin plates in both directions. He's got to be looking long-term and he's got to be looking short-term. I think when he has to make a choice, it's, all right, we've got Anthony Davis locked up. We at least have LeBron for this year. His tendency is to go for it, to throw all his chips in the middle of the table and say, let's try and get a title this year. We'll worry about the future in the future. So that's my sense of it, that they're, they're all in to try and get LeBron one more championship run, and they'll worry about the future after that. Well, it would be great. Uh, listen, John, there's a lot of chatter about Darvin Ham, and, y- you know, there's the old line that uh, what makes a good coach good players, and when, when they win, it's the team. When they lose, it's the coach. What, what is, is Darvin Ham as embattled as it seems in the national media, or is there a little bit too much being made of it? I think there's too much being made of it. And, and again, and, and you guys are, are kind of in the same situation. Um, we're a little closer to it than, than most of the media and, and most of the fans. We, you know, we get to see the coach interact with the players and we get to watch the dynamic from, from kind of an up-close view. And my sense of it is that Darvin has the full support of the owner, of Jeannie Buss. He's got the full support of Rob Polinka, and they want this to work. They're not like standing behind him with their arms folded saying, I can't believe you did that again. They trust him and they want this to work. And I think they're going to give him every opportunity to figure this out. I, for one guys would be stunned if they made a coaching change during this season. I mean, Darvin in his first year made it all the way to the Western conference finals. And I know LeBron and AD like him, which is a big part of our equation. You know, you got to have the Rob often talks about how he considers LeBron and AD not necessarily just players, but partners. And he runs everything by him. He runs trades by him. He runs coaching decisions by him. And uh, and I know LeBron and AD are in Darvin's corner. Now, having said all that, I go back to what I said earlier. If they have a bad month, all bets are off because. Right now, we're sitting in 11th. We're actually not even in the play-in tournament. And we've got to be in the postseason. This is, everybody knows the Lakers' job is win or you're fired. So I think they're going to stick with Darvin. I think they're going to try and give him everything he needs to be a success. I think they're going to let him finish out this year. Um, but he needs to have a good season, have a good month, and then we go from there. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Sure does. Yep. A lot, lot coming though, especially with the deadline bumped up this year as well. Like it's, 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 it's coming fast and furious. John, uh, last one for you. You mentioned uh, Davis. Uh, maybe this is better serve you asking us, but I'm going to ask you. What do you think Toronto can do? Because you've obviously seen the man up close and personal, personal, to slow down Anthony Davis. I don't know that Jakob Pertl was an Anthony Davis elixir, but without a big man in the lineup and really nothing on the bench. We're still waiting to find out, is you know, Jante Porter going to be able to kind of shut things down a little bit, or is it going to be Chris Boucher or a committee? Because after that trade with the Knicks, as good as it's been for the Raptors, they've been you know, leaving themselves pretty thin up front overall. AD's been unbelievable, guys. Um, I think if we had a better record, people would be talking about him in the MVP conversation. He's been that good. Um, the tricks... And and my guess is it's going to be Boucher, maybe Porter. I mean, you guys probably know better than me. But you got to put some height out there because if you don't, AD will just post up next to the rim and kill you. What you want to do if you're the other team guarding Anthony Davis is push him away from the basket. Make him shoot 15, 17, 20-foot jumpers. He's better this year than he was last year at making those shots. But if you let him get – in around the painted area, 8 to 10 feet or inside that, he just kills teams. And he gets to the foul line a lot. And the biggest thing he does for us is he's our best defensive player. And he basically stands in front of the rim like Shrek and swats everything out of there that, that anybody <laughs> brings to the hoop. And it allows our guards to play out tight on your guards. Um, the one way to beat the Lakers, and you guys uh, may have noticed this, is to, to shoot and make your threes. I mean, I know that sounds simple, but we don't defend the three well, and we don't shoot it well either. Um, well, I'll give you an example. Last week in those two games, we were minus 36 in that loss to Miami. They had 12 more threes than we did. Then on, when we lost to Memphis on Friday, we were minus 39. 
they had 13 more threes than we did. And, and so we've got to find a way to make that number smaller. If you guys come out tonight and make threes, we're in trouble because we don't shoot them well and we don't defend them well. So for that reason, um, there is a, a roadmap for the Raptors to win here tonight, and it probably involves shooting from long distance. But I love the trade, guys. I don't know what you guys thought of the Knicks trade, but as soon as I saw I, I'm gonna, I, I think OG's a really good player, and I think he's going to be great in New York. But I've been an R.J. Barrett fan ever since he came out of the draft, and quickly the Knicks beat us here this year when they came in here and quickly torched us. And so I think you've got offense and you've got shooters, and those two guys could both have a really big night if we don't go out and guard them. Yep. I, I, listen, I'll, I'll echo that. I think Jonesy does as well. Yeah. Uh, John, listen, you, you've been around as long as we have. Gone are the days of defensive lockdown in the NBA. I mean, they've devalued defense. I, I, we got to run. And I know you do too, getting close to the game here. But the NBA's devalued defense. You heard Steve Kerr talk about them legislating it out. They'd much rather see 135, 132 than 97, 94. And that's, you know, as, as great a, an o, uh, a defensive player as OG is, and as much as the Raptors are going to miss him, sometimes it's the old Mike D'Antoni line where the best defensive team has the most points yeah. at the end of the game. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and Paul, did you see that one day last week when we had five teams, yes. five go north of 140? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Eric and I were talking about that, and it's like, Somewhere, somewhere, Doug Moe is cheering, and and you know, and guys like Hubie are just saying, "I can't watch this." Well, I think it was that same those probably those same five <laughs> games, John, where it was the over under was five of the teams went over two seventy five, and one was over three hundred. Yeah, like just... well, that night, guys, we scored ninety six points. So that, that that'll tell you the Raptors have a pretty good chance tonight. Hey, John, thanks oh, for the great time. Great to chat, John. All right, boys. We'll see you in a couple of months. Have a great game. All right. Always good chatting with the Lakers radio play-by-play voice, John Ireland. All right, Jonesy, we're going to quickly shift gears. I've teased this a couple of times, but the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship with the Toronto Raptors, with MLSE, um, applications are open right now. Joining us right now is the 2023 co-recipient of the Wayne and Teresa Embry Fellowship, uh, Nilo Abedzada. And Nilo, we, we, we appreciate you joining us on the show. And... Just quickly for anybody listening right now, you could be Nilu if you play your cards right and you go through the application process. The the Toronto Raptors and MLSE right now is looking for their next recipient of the fellowship. So if you want to be potentially in the mix in 2024, the application process is open right now until February 15th. So go on the website, uh, fellowship.raptors.com, find out more information. And, hey, put your hat in the ring and see if perhaps you can, um, you know, come through like, like Nilu did. And, Nilu, maybe we can start right there and ask you, what was the process like for you, your background, your application, and what drew you to applying for this and ultimately, to your credit, receiving this and achieving this and getting this opportunity? Well, first and foremost, thank you so much, Eric and Paul, for uh, allowing me to be on the show and, and talk about the most exciting opportunity in NBA right now, the Win and Teresa Emery Fellowship. And as you said, the applications are open right now, and they will remain open until February 15th. Um, you can apply uh, on the website, fellowship.raptors.com. And so just to give a general uh, idea of what the fellowship is, uh, it's a season-long fellowship, and it consists of rotations uh, that provide you know, growth of knowledge and experience in all facets of an NBA team. Uh, you know, that includes coaching rotation, scouting, team services, uh, player development, player wellness, uh, medical equipment, uh, travel. You know, we, all, we also get to spend some time with the G League team, uh, PR, analytics, culture and inclusion, and also the MLSC side of things, which is marketing, ticketing. And so it's, it's very unique in the sense that you get to see and experience um, all of basketball operations uh, while having a focus area as well, which uh, for me is uh, with the front office. So I spend a lot of time with our front office, but at the same time, I get to see what all the other departments are doing and how everything works in harmony. Nilo, uh, I first ran into you and your uh your co-winner, your, your, your co-recipient, Greg, on the flight to training camp. 
And, uh, you know, we got off the plane in Vancouver and I, I could see both of you were really excited for your opportunity. We're only eh, maybe 40% halfway through the season right now, but is there one area? I mean, Eric and I, we had the picture with you when you did the, your media rotation. Is there one area, Nilu, that you kind of opened your eyes and said, wow, this is a real welcome to the NBA moment? Like, I am, I am in the throes of an amazing opportunity here being, being part of a, you know, a professional sports organization, especially in the NBA, where I think they're the most progressive of the big four major sports league. Was there one moment so far, I'm sure there's more to come, but was there one moment so far or one rotation so far where you said, wow, this is, this is really cool. Uh, yes. Well, I mean, two immediately pop into my head. I mean, not to be biased, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed my PR rotation um, where I, I went, where I met you and Eric, we have a picture just to plug in our Instagram. Actually, uh, you can find us on uh, Rapids Follow and see that picture. Uh, but yes, I the PR rotation. I mean, I spent a week with them and with our amazing PR team and got to see so much behind the scenes. I mean, uh, internal, external communications, broadcast. I mean, so much goes into uh, preparing for game days, but also so much that happens during game day. Uh, that is just unbelievable to see. And, and I don't think I would ever get to see that uh, outside of this fellowship. It, we get such a unique access uh, to, to this space that is just um, has been phenomenal. And, and another uh, recent memory that I, it was just such a wow, like welcome to the NBA moment was uh, my recent trip uh, to the uh, G League showcase in Orlando, um, where I went with uh, some of our front office folks and, um, got to scout uh, out there and just seeing, uh, you know, all the executives and, and folks from different teams there and meeting them and, and seeing all the people that I, you know, I've looked up to for many years and, and to see it, uh, to be in such a close proximity to them and, and get the chance to speak with them and learn from them uh, has just been a tremendous uh, opportunity for me uh, during this fellowship. And also summer league got to meet so many people. I mean, uh, just this is a great thing about this fellowship is is you get to see everything and you get the access to it and the Raptors have just done a, a amazing job of integrating us into that. So Neil, I've got to tell you, if you want, you you probably might have a future on the media side of things as you're already good about you know plugging your Instagram and 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 you know cross referencing things like that. So that's that's good. You're putting yourself out there like that, and I, I love that. But but on a serious note. In prepping to chat with you, I, again, I know we've had a chance to meet a couple times and take that picture and everything else, and I hope to see you again at the arena soon. But to learn more about you, I was just even looking at your LinkedIn profile, and, I mean, you've raised the bar, no pun intended here, as I get to this in a second. You've raised the bar <laughs> of the intelligence level on the show big time because when I look at your training and your background and your education, York University for, for four years, then going to Syracuse University College of Law, like – we're talking eight years of post-secondary and, and at some of the finest institutions in North America. And with your background in law and criminology and, and the work that you've now done uh, interning with the Brooklyn Nets, now with this fellowship with the Toronto Raptors, how did this all come about for you? And, and like when you look back with your criminology background, with your law background, how did this transfer or why did this transfer into professional sports and what is it that you're hoping to achieve if you ultimately achieve that goal that you have in your mind <laughs> yeah thanks Harry. i mean that's a, that's a great question and, and it wasn't always clear for me uh that i could have a career in sports i mean i always knew i wanted to be a lawyer that was my plan a to go to law school i never had a plan b so that was always something i wanted to do and i always have been passionate about basketball loved it growing up uh but never really again knew there can be a career in it for me based on my educational background uh, until second year of law school when I was interning with the Brooklyn Nets and, and met quite a few lawyers by trade who worked in front offices, uh, mostly in, in salary cap and, and CBA analysis. So, you know, that's when I started to look into the CBA rules uh, surrounding salary cap and just kind of fell in love with it. Uh, you know, the transactions, the player contracts, uh, trade rules, were very intriguing to me, and I, I knew I can be good at it because uh, 
to me, it was, you know, applying laws to a unique set of facts, which was uh, all I did in law school. And, and so I, I started to hear about, you know, ways that I can get involved and, and get my foot in the door. And uh, some of my colleagues uh, in the NBA uh, actually initially introduced me to the Wayne and Tree Sanmarie Fellowship. Uh, they were American, so, um, you know, they couldn't apply to it, but really encouraged me to do so. And and the timing was it was just right. It worked out. It was right around the time uh, I was graduating from law school. And, you know, I'm just so grateful to be here to, to kickstart my uh, – hopefully, uh, a long career in the NBA. Nilu, what's next? It sounds like, you know, you were talking about pro sports, and now it's been narrowed to the NBA specifically. And I'm sure, like I said, there there have been great experiences and many more to come with, with uh, you know, the rest of the year to go. When does your, quote, time, unquote, with Toronto end in the fellowship? And... Where do you see yourself next? Like, like what's next? Do you, do you take these, uh, it's sports, do you take these experiences to the NHL, to the, to the NFL, to, to, you know, I don't know, pro lacrosse? Like, do you, or are you, you really, what's next? When do you end and, and do you see yourself staying in basketball? Yeah, so the fellowship is, is a season-long, uh, one-year-long program. <laughs> And uh, it ends in, in June of 2024. And I would love to uh, stick to basketball. I think, uh, you know, the, the CBA is such a huge uh, book that I want to continue learning about and, and to be an expert in. So I think uh, sticking to one professional sport and, and just being great at, at, at it, I think, uh, is what I want to do in, in the future. And, and hopefully, you know, stay uh in the NBA and, and work uh, with a uh, front office, uh, whether it be Toronto or elsewhere. Um, I'm very much open to those opportunities and, and just motivated to be a, a great expert uh, in this field. Nilu, through this process, and it kind of ties into what he just asked, but knowing your, your legal background and the, your training, uh, at least scholastically, um, when you had a chance to work you know, with the training staff, with the PR staff, and all the different departments, did it open your eyes to other things that you might want to do or might actually be able to do if working for an NBA franchise or professional sports team in general? Or at the end of the day, will it still kind of, in your eyes, come full circle that, hey, it's still going to be something related to the money, the numbers, the finances, the legal, the CBA, et cetera, because that's where your true expertise is. Well, Eric, this is a, the great unique thing about this fellowship is that you get to see everything and, and explore different areas and careers in, in basketball. I mean, uh, I feel like, you know, I, I've, I've said this before, but if I wasn't working uh, in with the front office and doing CBA and salary cap, I would – explore a career in PR for sure. I mean, it was extremely fascinating, but I don't necessarily see another area for me, but this fellowship gave me that opportunity to look into it and, and, and see whether, you know, I want to uh, do something else in basketball. And, and you know, sometimes uh, that, it, that may be for another fellow is they see another department, they see another part of basketball ops, and, and they want to explore that instead. But uh, for me, it was, it was eye-opening that, uh, I definitely want to want to stay with front office and and explore that. Nilu, and it's kind of uh, the realm that we are close to. But what what captured you so much about about PR? And uh, I, I know it's it's a department where you get to work or you have to <laughs> work closely with the players, coaches, people that are in a sense, the face of the franchise that are out there everywhere from, you know, Masai Ujiri down to, you know, a, a kid like Javon Freeman Liberty, who's, you know, putting up 40 points in the G League. Like, what was it about the PR rotation that really grabbed you where you said, wow, this is this is something that I'm, I'm learning a lot about and I, I didn't know it was like this? Yes, I, Paul, I think you nailed it. I mean, just how much communication goes into uh, 
every department. So PR, you know, they have uh, open communication with medical team, front office, uh, team services, player development. So they are in constant uh, communication and and. That was one of the fascinating things for me was was to see that and how everything plays out when it comes to game days or, or just in general and, and still also externally with the media. I mean, it's it's certainly not easy to to handle that side of things as well. So seeing how gracefully they did it and and how much they put the team first and and uh, look out for for all all members of this team and also externally. So it was just fascinating to see those interactions uh, with media and also internally and uh, as well as with, with broadcasts on game day. I mean, I got to go to the uh, media truck and see those things happening. The production, I mean, it's just uh, fascinating. It was something that I had never experienced before. And again, uh, outside of this fellowship, I don't think I would have ever been able to see that side of things. So uh, it's just such a unique uh, thing about it is, is you get to see that and you are given that access. So, Neely, you might have just answered this question with what you literally just said seconds ago, but I'm going to ask it anyway uh, as we maybe close here. And we really appreciate your time. If you had a chance to speak directly to any uh, people that are, are hoping to or wanting to apply and, and are hopeful of maybe um, receiving this fellowship in 2024 or in future years, what would be your advice to them or what would be your message to them about what they can expect and why they should be looking into this and, and hoping for this? Yes, uh, I, I want to encourage listeners to apply if you are someone who is passionate about the game or is working in sports right now and wants to get a, a foot in the door in the NBA. This is uh, probably the best opportunity in basketball just because you get to see all the other departments within basketball operations and not just focus on one. Uh, you know, you get to see how everybody works in harmony and how things uh, are operating within an NBA organization. So it is just such a unique experience, and I want to encourage you to apply uh, and go on the website and learn about, you know, previous fellows who have gone on to do amazing things. You know, we have Wintel, who's with the Memphis Grizzlies. Noah and Aleem are with the Raptors now. Uh, We have uh, Kareem and Michelle, uh, fellows from last year who are working in Philly right now. So, uh, Fellows have gone on to do amazing things, and that's just a true testament to this uh, this opportunity. Well, Neela, we appreciate you joining us on the show, and uh, congratulations again. Even though it's you know probably six months old, the congratulations, but continued success going forward. And uh, hey, maybe we're working for you one day. We appreciate this. Thanks well, so much, <laughs> Eric. You 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 stole that from me. I was going to say with with Neela's experience <laughs> now and her 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 her. You know, just keep the two old guys in mind, Neelu, when you get into a front office, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys. Thanks so much for your time. That was Neelu Abedzida, again, the 2023 co-recipient of the Wayne and Teresa Ember Fellowship. If you want to be the next in line, 2024, maybe beyond, go to fellowship.raptors.com and go through the application process. Best of luck to all of you. And Jones, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna lose too much sleep over this. But you did just throw me in with like old man. Like I don't want to get out the calculator here and you know start talking about how old you are versus me. But uh, you know, I am old. Yeah, I guess I got to embrace. I'm old. I'm definitely, I'm definitely gonna uh, how, be working how many, for Neil one day, or at least have a chance to. Yeah. How many years on the broadcast? You, go ahead. you have been on. <laughs> You have been on the broadcast and working at the fan longer than some of these people that are we are talking to and that work with the Raptors now in have been alive. initial positions <laughs> have been alive, right? Like, right? You're yeah. at that stage yeah. now, E, where you you will reference an event in history and they'll look at you like, "What was that?" So once yeah. that happens, you're because well, I started when I was twelve. <laughs> you know, I was I was twelve when I started Jones. I was uh, I was like the Doogie Howser of radio and television, right? So. Oh, gotta love it yep. anyway so again fellowship.raptors.com if you want to uh go through the application process and as i said throw your hat in the ring and and try to see if you can get what is an extremely valuable and very coveted position not just in the nba and pro sports in canada um best of luck to all of you
All right, folks, that's going to do it. Thanks to Nilu, John Ireland, and Mark Spears. And, of course, big thanks to our producer and engineer, Austin Mackey. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks for tuning in to Smith and Jones.